So logic alone is enough to debunk religion. What I'm going to do, I'm going to prove to you that Islam is the true religion of God, and Christianity is not. You know, people have good questions. Christianity has good answers. This is Evidence and Answers with author, speaker, and apologist Pat Zukerman. And today we're going to be talking to a man who's been giving us those good answers for a long time, Dr. Norman Geisler, the man when it comes to Christian philosophy and apologetics. Dr. Norman Geisler of Southern Evangelical Seminary, Pat's special guest. Get this entire series and interview with Dr. Geisler when you go to evidenceandanswers.org evidenceandanswers.org. Today, Kevin, we're going to be covering some of the toughest arguments against the existence of God from some of the most notable atheists. And Dr. Geisler, we're going to start with who else but Charles Darwin. Did he and his theory of evolution conclusively prove uh, that God does not exist, that everything is a result of chance and Natural selection. Natural selection. Well, first of all, Darwin um, did not claim to be an atheist, and so I'd like to uh, make a disclaimer here, and that is that uh, that we're saying Darwin was an atheist. We're not. We're saying that Darwinism is an atheistic theory because it excludes God. Darwin himself claimed to be an agnostic near the end of his life, and earlier in his life he believed in God, and then he was kind of a deist and then an agnostic. However, he did say that uh, natural selection explains what a uh, creator used to explain. In other words, uh, we used to say there was design, and therefore there was a designer, there was creation, therefore there was a creator. And Darwin said, there is no design or designer. You can explain it by natural selection. And the truth of the matter is that uh, you cannot explain uh, the incredible design in this universe by natural selection because natural selection demands only natural laws over a long period of time that are uh, selecting the right combination so that this uh, beautiful uh, and apparently designed world came out. That's not the way it is. The way it is is that you have irreducible complexity uh, that cannot be explained by gradual development. So that in itself, irreducible complexity that you have to have a lot of parts or basic parts are all at the same time, uh, like the human eye we uh, referred to last week. Uh, Darwin said, and I don't think any pun intended, that he shuddered when he thought of the human eye. <laughs> shuddered. Uh, he, the reason he shuddered is because he couldn't explain it. Uh, it takes an intelligent uh, cause to explain it. In 1878, Darwin wrote his book uh, on the origin of species in 1859. In 1871, he wrote uh, his book on the descent of man, and only seven years later, Charles Hodge of Princeton wrote a book called What is Darwinism? And he said it's atheism because his theory excludes design from nature. But Darwin couldn't exclude it. In fact, uh, Louis Agassiz, the famous Harvard uh, zoologist, wrote a critique of uh, Darwin's uh, view in which he said, uh, Mr. Darwin has forgotten the most important thing, that throughout all of nature there's the evident presence of design that reflects a designer. And now this has been revived by Michael Behe and, and Dembski and the intelligent design movement, and I think uh, they're showing clearly that Darwin was wrong. Dr. Geisler, what are some good books people can read uh, regarding refuting the arguments from Charles Darwin? 
Well, I think the best books to uh, uh, read are the ones that are being put out by the intelligent design movement. On the origin of life itself, the best book is still Charles Thaxton's uh, uh, book on the mystery of life's origin. Of course, Michael Behe's uh, book, Darwin's Black Box, and William Dembski's book on mere creation, and any of the, any of the others he's uh, uh, written are all good books. And uh, Johnson uh, Johnson's books on uh, Darwin... Uh, uh, refuted and uh, Darwin, of, Darwin on trial, Darwin on yeah. trial, and uh, so forth are all good books uh, to read. There are books actually that were written by people who weren't even creationists to refute the theory of uh, evolution. Uh, and um, I'm thinking uh, of uh, the book by Fred Hoyle, Evolution from Space, where he says that there had to be an intelligent creator of life that uh, you just can't explain it by purely natural. Laws. There was a book by Michael Denton, uh, also that uh, uh, refuted, showing that uh, you have to have a, a system and you have to have an intelligent designer to make a new system to explain the origin of different forms of life. Yes. Now, building on Charles Darwin's theory, came a number of other prominent uh, atheists. Uh, one man in particular, Sigmund Freud, he gave a pretty good argument against the existence of God. What was his argument? Well, actually, you know, it's it's hardly an argument because it's not a rational argument. All he did was kind of psychoanalyze the motives for which people believe in God. He never propounded uh, a good argument against the existence of God. He never refuted the cosmological, moral, or teleological arguments. All he said is that the basis on which people believe in God is wish. They hope it to be true, they wish it to be true, but they don't have any rational basis for it. If he had known rational arguments, he might never have come up with that view because uh, there's no reason why that someone, something that uh, you the need to be true isn't true. I mean, people need water. Uh, does that say that there is no water anywhere? They might not get the water, they might die in the desert, but to say there that uh, there are thirsty people and no water anywhere is irrational, or there are hungry people and no food uh, anywhere. So his argument boils down to confusing need and want. People want God. It's not simply they want God. One of my hobbies is collecting quotes from famous atheists. They really need God. Nietzsche wrote a poem to the unknown God. He said, oh, I wish I had the comfort that uh, people who believe in God uh, have, but I don't uh, have it. Uh, 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 the famous uh, philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre uh, said, I needed God, I cried out for God. Man's basic project is uh, uh, God himself. Uh, Walter Kaufman, the famous atheist from Harvard University, uh, said, man is a God-intoxicated ape. Well, that's interesting. I mean, how did he get God-intoxicated if there was no God to intoxicate him? Uh, that, you know, the, the book of Ecclesiastes says God has set eternity in our hearts. Uh, and Augustine said the heart is restless until it finds its rest in God. And so I think if you take uh, Freud's argument that people just wish it to be true and replace the word wish with need it to be true, because even the atheists confess that, then I think you have an argument for God and the fact that he never provided any argument against the rational arguments for God uh, shows that he either wasn't uh, familiar with them or he's ignoring them. Maybe Freud had God envy. <laughs> well, you know, he had a God surrogate, <laughs> I can tell you that, because he even calls 
uh, reason, uh, logos, he said, my God is logos or reason. Hmm. Well, that's what Romans 1 says. They they worship the creature rather than the creator. Hmm. Well, Carl Sagan did the same thing. He confessed to be agnostic, but you know, uh, Karl Marx was the, the best guy uh, to define agnosticism. He said agnostic, agnosticism or an agnostic is nothing but a gutless atheist. I mean, he doesn't really believe there's a God, but he doesn't want to say it. But he, he defines the whole world and lives uh, as though there isn't any God and uh, therefore replaces the need for a God. Now, let's go over another man who I didn't know about till I took your class there at seminary, Ludwig Feuerbach. Yes. What was oh, his argument? Oh, Ludwig. Uh, yes, he he was perhaps one of the most brilliant and engaging of all atheists. His book, The Essence of Christianity, Chapter 1, is perhaps uh, one of the best uh, critiques uh, ever written on the existence of God. And he argues not that God is uh, just a, a heavenly lineless blanket, a cosmic comforter like Freud did, you know, something we say we need, but it's just a wish like a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow. But he said, um, though religion is essential, uh, the very dialectic of religion, he studied under Hegel, uh, shows you that there is no God because what we call God is just a projection of our own human imagination. We take the best in ourselves and project it up there and then look at it out there and attribute it to God and look at ourselves and we're evil because we just took all the good out of ourselves and projected up there and then we call for that back as grace. So he said the whole process uh, is a dialectic in which uh, we project it the best of us out there, call it God, and then worship it as God. The irony is, he said, that's necessary to do for human progress. So it's kind of the necessary lie uh, that everyone needs to do, but uh, there really is no God. Well, then let's move to another, well, probably the most famous atheist, Frederick Nietzsche, the man who said God is dead. What was his argument against the existence of God? Well, uh, there again, he never really gave a formal argument against it, but I think uh, one of the best things ever said is uh, uh, Nietzsche said, God is uh, dead, sign Nietzsche, and some invisible hand wrote, Nietzsche is dead, sign God. Uh, so he, the, the uh, reverse is true. The very fact that Nietzsche uh, showed need for God, uh, he cried out for God in this, this poem to the unknown God. In fact, in his Madman, and, uh, and thus spoke Zarathustra, he he has that same thing. He constantly bemoans the fact that he doesn't have any comfort uh, as people who believe in God, and he, he shows his need for God. He, he uh, thought he was the anti, he thought he was Christ himself in his uh, autobiography, Ecce Homo, Behold the Man, uh, taken from the words uh, about Jesus. He thought he was Christ himself, so he ended up. Uh, being, uh, he ended up insane. Now, some people say his religion did it. Some people say it was a physical condition. The fact is, he he was insane, and he wrote uh, the book and thought he was Christ himself. And that during his lifetime, he admitted uh, his need for God and never ever formulated a rational argument against the existence of God. Doctor Geisler, is there a book in which you critique some of these great philosophers? Uh, yes, uh, uh, my book, Philosophy of Religion, which is available through Whiff and Stock and through our uh, ministry, ImpactApologetics.com. You can go and get all of our uh, uh, books, ImpactApologetics.com. 
the philosophy of religion is the most uh, philosophically sophisticated critique of it. We do it also in our book, Christian Apologetics, and on a more popular level in our book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Stand by. We have more with Dr. Norman Geisler. I don't think I need to convince you to get this entire series from evidenceandanswers.com. You can go over and over the sophisticated arguments and in the simple language that Dr. Geisler brings, these objections to the existence of God and how to answer them. Go to evidenceandanswers.com. We are continuing our discussion on the evidence for the existence of God, and we're analyzing some of the arguments from famous atheists and skeptics with Pat Zucaran and a special guest, Dr. Norman Geisler. Yes, Dr. Norman Geisler is president of Southern Evangelical Seminary, wonderful seminary out there in Charlotte, North Carolina. And you don't have to pick up your family and move for three or four years uh, if you want to attend Southern Evangelical. There are ways that you can study through correspondence. Uh, and and well, tell us about Southern Evangelical, Dr. Gustin. Oh, you can get the same class. So we do DVDs, and uh, we mail them to you. You Same teacher, same class, same text, same exam. So it's the next best thing for being here. You just do email or our 800 number, 1-800-77-TRUTH. Uh, so we have external studies program for uh, you can take right in your own home. Fantastic. And how long has the seminary been around, Dr. Geisler? Well, we've been around since 1992. We now have graduates who have uh, PhDs in philosophy that we've already trained at the seminary who are out there. We have apologists who have been on Hannity and Combs and O'Reilly Factor and uh, TV uh, programs around the country. Our guys are making a real impact for Christ all around the culture. Yes, if you want to study under some of the best professors in apologetics, I highly recommend Southern Evangelical Seminary. That's now, ses.edu, ses.edu. Dr. Geisler, in all your debates with atheists, what seems to be the most common argument against the existence of God? The problem of evil, no close second. How can there be a good God if there's all this evil? Well, how do you refute that challenge? Well, you know, there are two main arguments, and uh, one is, put simply, there's injustice in this world, and clearly that's the case. I mean, anybody is blind not to think that there's no injustice. Sometimes the wicked uh, prosper and the righteous are, are cut short, so there's clearly injustice in this world. But if there's injustice in this world, there can't be a good God because this is an imperfect world, and you can't have a perfect God who made an imperfect world. And the answer to that uh, is that that very argument has led many people to the existence of God. C.S. Lewis and J. Budzichewski are two examples, uh, people who are atheists and started thinking about it. Now, what is evil, and how do I know this is evil? And the more real evil is, uh, the more you are faced with the fact that there's got to be some standard by which you know that's evil. But if you have some absolute standard by which you know this world has absolute evil in it, then there must be a God because that absolute moral prescription must come from an absolute moral prescriber. So uh, the very argument from evil boomerangs into an argument for God. And the second argument goes like this. If there's an all-powerful God, he could defeat evil. If he's all good, he would defeat evil. But look around. Evil is not defeated. Anybody can improve the world. One less rape, one less murder tomorrow, and the world would be improved. Uh, so there cannot be a, an all-powerful, all-good God. But when you analyze that argument, the uh, third premise, which says that uh, evil is in the world, leaves out a very important word, yet. Evil is not yet defeated. But the fact that it's not yet defeated doesn't mean it never will be. 
So if once you put the word yet in there, then the argument doesn't follow because all it says is there's if there's an all-good God, he would defeat if he's all-powerful, he could. is not yet defeated, so it doesn't follow from that that there is no God. What follows from that is this. If he's all-good, he would, and if he's all-powerful, he could, and he hasn't yet done it, therefore he will one day do it. Hang on, it's coming. I mean, it's like stopping me in the middle of my sentence and saying, that doesn't make any sense. Well, wait till I finish the sentence, you know. The book isn't over. You haven't read the last chapter yet. Boy, you really bear a heavy burden of proof if you say, evil exists, uh, God has not defeated it, and God never will. Yeah, yeah. and that's the only, unless you can say that, uh, you can, the argument doesn't follow. And once you add that phrase, and God never will, then you have to be omniscient. Because you have to know all future possible states of affairs and know that it never will be uh, defeated. But uh, then you have to be God in order to argue against God. Well, what is, why does God allow evil to continue? Why doesn't he stomp it out right now? He's got a good purpose for it, you know. Like C.S. Lewis says in The Problem of Pain, evil or pain in this world is God's megaphone to arouse a morally deaf world. God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone to arouse a morally deaf world. That's one of the good. We all know there's a good purpose of evil. If you've ever had a toothache, uh, you know that uh, that's a warning that you better go to the dentist. If you've had a pain in your chest, you know that's a warning that you better go to see a, a cardiologist. And so on through life, pain is God's way of warning us uh, of Future pain is going to be worse if we don't take care of this one. Why so much evil? I mean, how do you explain things like the Holocaust and Pol Pot in Cambodia? Why so much evil? How well, could the more evil this? that uh, there is, the more real it becomes to us and the more necessary it is for a God to handle it uh, and to ask the question, how much? Who would, who would best know how much? An omniscient mind uh, or a finite mind? So God alone knows how much is necessary for us to learn the lesson from evil and for him to defeat it. You can't beat the champion unless you get in the ring with them. Shadow boxing won't do. So God permitted evil in order to defeat evil. How much and how long are questions only an all-good and all-knowing God can answer. So Christian theism offers the best answer against evil as opposed to pantheism and atheism. That's what you're saying, right? It, answers, it offers the only answer to it because pantheism denies the existence of evil. It sticks its proverbial ostrich head in the sand and says it doesn't exist. And there is a poem written on that. Uh, though there was a pantheist of deal who said that though pain is not real, yet when I sit upon a pin and it punctuates my skin, I dislike what I fancy I feel. So, I mean, that, that denies the existence of evil. So there's really three views. Uh, pantheism says God exists, but evil doesn't. Atheism that says evil exists, but God doesn't. And theism that says evil exists, and God does, and he has a good purpose for it. He's going to bring a greater good into this world because of it than he could have without it. No pain, no gain. That's the answer to the argument against evil. Well, how about this one that I often hear? If God does exist, why isn't the evidence more clear? I mean, why doesn't he put a glowing cross in the sky? Wasn't, why doesn't thunder and lightning strike every time an atheist speaks out against God? Why isn't the evidence more clear? Well, it's kind of like uh, somebody said, if God wanted to stop a lot of evil in the world, when Madeline Murray O'Hare was alive, he could have just crammed her mouth full of cotton every time <laughs> she opened it. 
mm-hmm. or giving her Excedrin headache number three every time she thought an atheist thought. But then if he did that, she wouldn't be free. God created creatures like himself. They're free, and he wants them to freely respond. So the evidence is not coercive, nor does he uh, painfully uh, eliminate anybody who thinks a thought contrary to him or explode a fountain pen in their hand if they take it up to write again. He permits the evil so that he can permit them to be free. So in the end, and this is C.S. Lewis' book, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, not The Abolition of Man, but C.S. Lewis' book on the great divorce, he says, in the end, there are only two kinds of people. One says, thy will be done, O God, and the other one, God says to them, thy will be done. So he's going to let every atheist go on being an atheist, thinking his atheistic thoughts forever, and he's not going to force them to believe in him because he's a free and loving God, and they're free creatures, and they can freely reject him if they want. Dr. Geisler, it was uh, Carl Sagan, I believe, that uh, posited the glowing cross in the sky that Pat was referring to. And and it just seems to me that, uh, first of all, that's under the heading of uh, hiddenness of God. Is that the philosophical heading? Well, you could use that, but, you know, the way I would answer that question forthrightly, uh, uh, Kevin, is to say, uh, look, he's done better than that. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Uh, I'm ju- I just became familiar recently with a book where uh, somebody is showing that that pi and psi are, are reflected throughout the entire universe, the distance of the stars, the size of your finger and the size of your arm and your, your leg. Uh, Einstein said that the, the laws of nature and the laws of mathematics are so incredible that there must be a master uh, physicist and a master mathematician up there. You can't wherever you look through the microscope or through the telescope, uh, you see incredible design that calls for an incredible designer. So it's not that it's not clear; it's that man suppresses the evidence. Romans one eighteen says it is clear, and and following it is clear, but they're suppressing or rejecting it. And you know, it, it seems to me, Norm, that Psalm nineteen there, God has shown Himself or revealed Himself in ways that it can't be faked. You know, not really. You can always fake a glowing cross. It could be a natural phenomena. It could be a, a NASA experiment gone wrong. It could be a hoax. It could even be space aliens. Sure. You could always find another, you know, explanation for that. But like the face on the moon. Yeah, the face on the moon. But when you look at the he- when you look at the universe, when you look at the beginning of the universe and the Big Bang and the, you know, and, and then the fine tuning. You know, there is life. no other good explanation. Yeah. You have to say nothing. Produce something, but even Julie Andrews knew nothing comes from nothing, nothing ever could. Yeah. Well, Dr. Geist, in the last minute that we have, talk to the Christian out there who says, you know, uh, I've been giving these apologetic reasons to my atheist friends, and he, he still hasn't come to Christ. What well, you, you can lead a horse person? to the water, but you can't make him drink. Uh, you can only give him evidence that there is a God. He's going to have to decide whether he wants to believe in God. Back to my elevator illustration that we used. Uh, previous week, uh, you can show them the elevator, people getting off it, the lights on, there's a floor in there, but you can't force him to get in the elevator. But you can tell him it's a whole lot better than that dark elevator where you can't see the floor and nobody got off of it. Christianity says, take a step of faith in the light, don't take a leap of faith in the dark. You know, this has been a fantastic interview. You're getting a wealth of information from Dr. Norman Geisler. Dr. Geisler, don't you have a uh, website at which people can go to for more information? 
Uh, yeah, normgeisler.com is my website, and of course the seminary is ses.edu, where you can take courses external in your own home. You don't have to come to Charlotte, North Carolina. Of course, it is the most beautiful, nicest place in the country to live. <laughs> yeah, how about that? <laughs> Dr. Geisler, in all the years that you've, you've debated atheists uh, in every state here, uh, how do these three arguments that we presented, the cosmological, the teleological, and the moral argument, how do they stand up against the arguments that the atheists have presented? They stand up very well. I've never seen anyone who can really refute these arguments. They, they give objections to it, but the objections are answerable as the ones that uh, you brought up. Uh, tonight and others, but they can't really uh, refute the arguments because the arguments are sound. Fantastic. Dr. Geisler, we want to thank you for being with us. My privilege. And thank you for listening today. We're hoping you'll see just how far-reaching this issue is. At stake is how we view ourselves, our origins. Are we just molecules in motion, no different than other organisms accidentally spawned on this spinning planet? Or were we made for a purpose? We believe there's good news here. God created the heavens and the earth, and he seeks relationship with every one of us. And we bring guests on the show to give the evidence for that worldview. Pat Zuckerman has dozens of interviews with leading scholars, as well as his own teaching and information, available right now at evidenceandanswers.org. Download past shows and browse the articles and topics on the world's greatest questions. Theology, philosophy, apologetics, world religions, debates with atheists, and cutting-edge information to equip you as an ambassador for Christ. And if you're a skeptic or maybe of another faith or you're a seeker, you'll greatly benefit from these resources. Go to evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. And keep in mind that when you purchase and download past shows, you help keep Evidence and Answers on the air and expanding. So please consider helping us keep a quality apologetic show on the air and on the web. That's evidenceandanswers.org. I'm Kevin Harris, and on behalf of Pat Zuckerman, thanks so much for being with us. God bless, and we'll see you next time 